Somebody's always expecting that a parenting seminar, we're eventually going to get to the point in the seminar where we're going to talk about, can we spank our kids? Well, we're not going to talk about that. First of all, I am biased on that subject because now they have introduced a variety of discipline plans. One of them is timeout. We did not have timeout when I was a kid. I would have chose timeout when I was a kid. I like the idea of going over and sitting down for a few minutes and then going, yep, you were right, Mom, I shouldn't have done that, and moving on. But the form of discipline in our house made it difficult for me to sit down for quite a while. And so I'm biased because my thought is, well, I underwent it. You should undergo it as well. We're not going to talk about that. Instead, much like we talk about righteousness as a destination, I'd like to talk about discipline conceptually, even though I'd like to offer some practical suggestions that I think can be incorporated into some of those specific things as you feel comfortable with, as your conscience allows, as your experience uh, dictates. Um, when my kids were growing up, one of the most frustrating learning experiences or teaching them experiences was teaching them to tie their shoes. It was, it's over, I mean, something that seems so simple should have been simple for them, right? It's over, it's under, it's around, loop it there, push it through, pull it tight. That didn't work. Then we had to do this, some kind of a double bunny ears, loop it around like this in the hole, down the trail. And it was, Tammy's dad, grandpa, taught all of my kids how to tie their shoes. Tammy would go visit them for a few weeks during the summer, and he was, patient, and he was calm, and he didn't get frustrated. For me, this is how my teaching experience went. I would show them, I go, do you got it? And they go, I got it. And then they would come back the next morning and say, look, I tied my own shoe. And it was a series of knots just tied out to the end, flopping all side. The shoe was loose, and then they go, how's it look, right? And I'm trying to untie it. I'm going, it's not that hard. Look, Bunny ear here, bunny ear, that's how it was. Until finally, the Lord, I believe, sent a Savior. Payless shoes and Velcro tennis shoes. My kids could slap them on and rip them off and slap them on and rip them off. I was never so happy. But you know, that's kind of how parenting is. We kind of want a disciplined plan that's the Velcro, right? Slap it on, slap it off, slap it on, slap it off, slap it, slap it, slap it, and that's going to get it done. But it doesn't. It's an arduous task. It's a task that takes time and patience and even your kids tying a few knots before you accomplish what needs to be accomplished. So what I, have, what I want to encourage you to employ is to think about discipline like a guardrail. Now, all of you know what a guardrail are. Tammy and I came over uh, from Victorville yesterday to Hatchapee over the pass, and on some of those curves, there's a guardrail there. And the guardrail serves typically as two functions. One, it marks the area that beyond might be dangerous, namely the edge of the road, right? You go past that, it's down into the chasm. Sometimes they'll put even reflectors on it. You know, here's a curve, see the guardrail. The other is that if, in fact, you don't pay attention to the guardrail, 
the guardrail is there to pay attention to you, right? In other words, if I disregard that there's a curve ahead, I've ignored the signs, I don't look, pa I look past the reflectors, and I just keep going straight when the road curves, the guardrail's there to nudge me back onto the road. And though I might be really angry because it scratches up my bumper in the side of my car, it still, though painful, is far better than what? The alternative, going all the way off to the edge. So if you can think about discipline in that regard, I think it helps. For example, if you set a guardrail that indicates that there is danger beyond. Let me, let me talk about something that maybe isn't parenting, but it's something that we're all familiar with. There's always a discussion about, is it proper to drink alcoholic beverages? There are some people that read scripture and say, there is no prohi prohibition. There are some that says it's absolutely prohibited. I'm not here to discuss the use of alcohol. What I want to indicate is how a guardrail can be employed. I'm not saying this pridefully. I'm not even saying this to convince you. I'm simply saying that for me, I have set a guardrail, a personal guardrail, that I won't drink alcohol. Why? Because I know that at some point that's going to be detrimental to my health at some point detrimental to my safety and the safety of others. And certainly I believe because there is at least at some point that it becomes a sin before God and I would rather not do that. So whether or not you think that there's one drink okay or one drink of beer but not of this or this color is okay but not, I've chosen to set a guardrail. And if you ever look at a guardrail, a guardrail is always set in the safe area. They don't put the guardrail at the bottom of the ravine, right? If they did, it would just have a sign on it that says, you've arrived, right? That, they don't have that. So what we do is we, we set a guardrail. I set a guardrail that simply says what? And they go, well, that's ridiculous. You can have one drink. That won't hurt you. You're not going to be drunk. God says, okay, Jesus made water into wine, blah, 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 blah. You know what, for me, I'd rather see the guardrail that says safety here. Now, what that means is that you are allowed to set guardrails for your children that don't come out of the Bible. Did you know that? For example, what is the curfew that God gives in Scripture for being in? That's right. That's exactly right. Well, Paul preached to midnight, so it took him at least 45 minutes to get home from there, I guess. But the point is this. Did God grant you as a parent the right to set a guardrail? And when your parents tell you, let me just take a quick survey. How many of you had a curfew at some point in time when you were growing up? What time was the curfew set? Do you remember? 10. And why was it set at 10 o'clock? Do you remember? Did your parents ever tell you why at 10? Well, that could be. Okay, good. Going to bed. Mine was always because nothing good happens after 10. My experience, that's when all the good stuff starts happening, okay? But why does a parent set that guardrail? That they do know that a kid that's out in all hours of the night is subject to perhaps a safety risk, right? That maybe there are some things, you know, two o'clock in Colorado, the bars close. And all those people that have been drinking all evening, they're out on the roads. Maybe it has to do with the declining weather. Maybe it has to do with something. But the point is that when a parent sets a guardrail, says, I want you in by 10 o'clock, and the kid says, why? And, she says, and the parent says, because the Bible says so. Well, we have done that, right? 
we have set some guardrails and said, because the Bible says so, and then our kids did something terrible. You know what they did? They went and read the Bible. That really messes up my plan. It's okay to say, because mom and dad said so. Well, who's mom and dad? That's because the Bible said so, right? That it's possible. Said. The other is that discipline also carries with it that punishment that keeps them from something. For example, you violated the curfew. And so the punishment is you're grounded next weekend when you wanted to go to that party, to that event, to the movie, out with that young man, out with that young lady. And they said, that's not fair. When did you, fair would have meant I look like Brad Pitt. I don't, life's not fair, right? Relax, just a second, Tammy. <laughs> she pretends sometimes that I look like Brad Pitt just so that she's not after me all the time. Anyway, but the point is this, that there is a punishment there intended to do what? Not just to warn them, but to say, okay, this may bump your bumper a little bit, but it's better than what lies beyond. So typically we find that our guardrails come in one of three categories. The first of those categories is what I call isolation. That is, if it hurts you, I'm gonna keep you from being there, right? Don't grab the pot of boiling water, right? It's a guardrail. Have you ever grabbed the handle of a pot of boiling water? Sure you have, but what do we want? We want to make sure that they don't get close to the edge, right? Because if they pull that down on them, the chance of them being burned until they know better how to act or behave around that. Don't put the fingernail file in the outlet, right? Those are our, do not go to that particular activity. Do not involve yourself in that kind of situation. Why? Isolation. The Bible gives us guardrails of isolation. Flee wickedness, right? Not play with it, just don't get burned. Flee it. Run away from it. It is okay to have those kind of guardrails, but those kind of guardrails aren't sufficient. The reason why is because sometimes they're going to need to touch the pot, right? If they're ever going to make, learn to make macaroni and cheese or ramen noodles, they're going to have to touch the pot of boiling water. So what we then do is we start giving them, if you will, guardrails of uh, insulation, I call it. Think about the, a cold day like today. You decided, what am I going to wear? I've got to go out into a hostile world, right? How am I going to insulate myself? Well, I might wear a coat. I might wear a sweater. I might wait, wear some gloves. I might wear, wear some fur-lined boots. Well, that's stupid. Just stay inside. Well, I could have done that, but it's going to make it hard for me to go to church, and there's a good potluck after we get through listening to that guy. I want to go. So we insulate ourselves. So what we do with children is we insulate them with instruction, right? Here's how to handle the pot. Have any of you knowingly grabbed the handle of a pot that was hot? I have two cast iron skillets. They are great. But you know why I forget sometimes? That the handle of the cast iron skillet also cooks meat, right? So I have a little insulator I put on it. Well, what we do is we tell our children, and rightly so, we said, here are some things that you need to know. Here are the things that will hurt you, and here's the things that will harm you, and these are the ways you should go, and this is the way that's safe. 
that that's good. Now, sometimes what happens is we give our children lots of insulation, lots of Bible verses, the names of the kings of Israel, all the apostles, all their wives, the epistles. I mean, they know it all, and we have got them insulated like this. You ever see that movie, The Christmas Story? where the mama puts on like two snowsuits on the kid and sends them out, and that's how we send out our kids, and we go, we have protected them, right? Yeah, but you may have just thought that you've accomplished it because, you know, when sin runs up with a pitchfork and a little red tail, they'll go, Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse, king of Israel, right? Divided kingdom. I mean, you're going to have all the... It doesn't always work that way. We need one step further of guardrail. And for this, you can choose which one you prefer, either inoculation or imitation. And what I mean by that is that we need our children to be like Jesus. We need to show him Jesus. We need to show him who he is. We need to show what he said. We need to show what he did. We need to show our children imitation if you will we need to inoculate them and I say inoculation because we're going to then send them into the world and they're probably going to make some mistakes but they know what they need to be doing and sometimes there are going to be some knots in the shoe tying but we can't just protect them we've got to prepare them for that world in which they live in so with that in mind here is how a discipline plan I got excuse me just a second I've got to look here at this schedule thing or I'll be off because this is a completely different schedule. I just want to make sure that I don't take advantage of your, uh, of your time. We're in great shape. Uh, so anyway, I want to give this kind of a discipline plan and I've got some sad news for you. It doesn't start with a whipping. Sometimes we confuse punishment. The idea of discipline begins long before there's ever a need for punishment. Listen to this particular rendering of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11. It is from a version called the message and though I am not convinced that the message is always a fair and accurate representation of the original, I think that this most certainly in a modern vernacular grasps the emphasis of this particular passage. Listen how it reads. My son, do not be angry when the Lord punishes you. Don't be discouraged when he has to show you where you are wrong. For when he punishes you, it proves that he loves you. When he whips you, it proves you are really his child. Let God train you. For what he is doing is what any loving father does for his children. I mean, who ever heard of a son who was never corrected? If God doesn't punish you when you need it, as other fathers punish their sons, then it means that you aren't really God's son at all, that you don't really belong to his family. Since we respect our fathers here on earth, though they punish us, should we not also more cheerfully submit to God's training so that we can really begin to live? Our earthly fathers trained us for a few years, doing the best for us that they knew how. But God's correction is always right, and for our best good, that we may share in his holiness. You know, being punished isn't enjoyable while it's happening. It hurts. But afterwards, we can see the result, a quiet growth in grace and character. I think that's a great description about discipline. 
But you'll note that as it begins, it talks about the fact that God disciplines because he loves. No effective discipline plan begins without first there being love. A love for God and a love for his word and his truth, but a love for our children. The love that seeks the well-being for our children above anything else, or at least any of our needs, wants, or desires. That uh, one individual said in regards to this that if it is not love, it is not discipline, it's abuse. In other words, if it is not with the best interest of the child in mind, then it's not discipline, it's abuse. And when one begins to evaluate a discipline plan, and might I say, if you are new or soon to be new to parenting, you need to have a discipline plan. You need to have thought through, how am I going to, now you're going to get to situations and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said that he put a bean in your nose. That, okay, you probably didn't have a discipline plan for that. Go, uh, do the one where it says if they put uh, hamburger meat up their nose. We'll use that one. Okay, I mean, you're going to try to modify it, but the point is you have a discipline plan, but at the heart of that is what? I love my child. I love my child. I love them. I love their life. I want to help them. I want to help their life. I want it to be best for them not only in this life, but the life that is to come. And so we begin to develop this system of guardrails, simply put, because we love them. Listen to God's example in Exodus chapter 20. God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to the thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, that... You know, I just got echoes of Charlton Heston in the back of my mind as that's coming out. Finger of fire. But really, that was God's discipline plan for his children, Israel. Let's break it down. He starts by saying, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the beginning of a discipline plan instruction. Simply saying, here is the instruction. Here is the way to go. Here is what's right. Here is what's wrong. Here's what you need to do. I think of the story they said it was of a dad. He walks by his kid and he whacks him in the back of the head and keeps walking. The kid goes, what was that for? And he goes, that's for the time I didn't catch you. Right? Let me just ask you to reflect, either those of you who are parents or have been parents of kids in the past, meaning at home, did you ever discipline your child for something that they probably didn't know that it was wrong? And you thought, well, everybody knows not to do that, right? Not always. I don't think that it is all wrong to be extremely articulate. In fact, 
I would encourage you to be very articulate as to say these are the rules of our house. Write them down. Post them. Now, I don't mean one of those nice, sweet charts from Hobby Lobby that says, here is the rules for our house. We hug often. We smile frequently. Yeah, that's fine. And hang it in the laundry room. It'll look really pretty. But I'm talking about here are the rules of our house. God made it very clear to Israel, do not have any other so-called gods ahead of me. Well, they knew that, right? He was God. There was not going to be any mistaking it. God made it very clear. He wrote it in a tablet of stone, right? This is the rule. That's the beginning of discipline, instruction. Here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. And I might add, not just here's what's right and here's what's wrong, but here's why it's right. And here's why it's wrong. And here's the consequences, both good and bad, for doing right and wrong. Make sure that your discipline plan includes clear instruction for your children. Now, God goes on. He says, after that, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. Now, do you know what he's doing here? He's repeating the exact same law. But he's telling them how it looks. Now, any of you have ever given your kid an instruction they'll say something like this, or they'll respond to your instruction, did I not tell you, quit running in the house? And they'll say something like, I wasn't running, I was walking really fast. Or, I, I, I was running because my brother was chasing me. I, I was running uh, to get you because you needed to know something right now, and I didn't want you to be delayed in getting that trail information, so I knew it'd be okay with you if I ran, you know, even though we clearly know that I wasn't supposed to run because I would not run under any more situation, but this was, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? So God knew that Israel, in the same way as children, said, okay, well, you said not have any other gods, but you didn't say we couldn't carve a piece of wood and worship it, did you? So God comes along. In the discipline plan, he goes to, sec to the second stage. First stage being instruction. Second, correction and warning. He says, let me tell you what I mean by that. Now, what happens is sometimes we do instruction and we race to punishment, right? I told you not to do it. You did it. Go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. Now, that's okay, but when you go to their room, what it needs to be is it needs to be where you sit down and say, all right, let's repeat the instruction and let me make it clear in the future what that means. It is here that I think you have a great opportunity to repeat the instruction, reinforce it by clarifying, and then giving a reminder by way of warning. It might look like this. I want you to pick up your room. And you come back and the room's not picked up. Okay. When I say pick up your room, I mean I want the toys in the toy box, I want the clothes in the hamper or the closet, I want your beds made. I want the books on the shelf. And if it had been me, in alphabetical order by color. Okay, that's just how I was. 
And if you don't, remember the movie we were all going to tomorrow? You will not be going. Now, it's not an idle threat, and it's not to the exclusion of punishment will come, but I want them to understand that, listen, their version of picking up the room and my version of picking up the room are probably two different things. My version, pick it up spotless like it's ready for a show home in a magazine. Their version, do nothing at all except kick the basketball back and forth across the room between them. So we come from instruction, we move to correction and, and warning, right? This is what I mean by that. It's still part of the discipline plan. It's still part of the instruction. But I'm going to pair that with, and let me remind you, I think that it's really good if you tell your children, not with a threat, but say, I need you to understand that there is going to be a consequence that goes along with you straying from this. My uh, second oldest son and his wife are both teachers and the worst parents in the world are teachers because they do everything like teachers. There's gold stars and there's consequences. No, they do a great job. Her kids were little, little, and they go, I can't do that because there would be a consequence. I'm like, you can't even spell consequence. I can't even spell consequence. But they understood that, right? Because that's the correction warning. Then God goes on and he indicates what happens if that does. Listen, do not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, I'm not suggesting that your discipline plan has those exact words. In other words, don't go in and say, I want this room picked up because I, your father, am a jealous dad and I will visit the iniquity of the father. You don't have to quite be that dramatic. But the point was God says what? There is a punishment coming. A discipline plan is inadequate if it is, if it is only about punishment. It is equally deficient if it has no punishment in it whatsoever. In other words, if it is an idle threat, for lack of a better term, and it never falls through, it has no teeth. I think one person put it well. He said, when a discipline plan has punishment that is too soft, it doesn't help. And when it has one that's too hard, it just hurts. So you need to find that punishment that pairs with the crime. You know, you go, okay, we need to be in curfew 10 o'clock. And as kids will do, they wander in 10.05. Well, you broke the curfew. You're grounded for life. Here's the thing. It's all kids know that they, you don't want them at home that much time. You'll eventually let them go on good behavior. In other words, you should say, listen, I want you in by 10 o'clock, but you need to understand that if you miss the curfew, that that curfew is going to go to 9 o'clock from here on out. Well, you don't mean, 10.05 is okay. It sure is, and so is 9.05, because that's what we're going to move it to. I mean, but punishment needs to come. You need to decide what's appropriate. I've already talked to the men about this a little bit, training a child according to their bent. You're going to have to find out. Maybe the spanking is the thing that works. Maybe it is the timeout that works. Maybe it is, I mean, Tammy, I'll just tell you, I'm just going to fess up. We're right here. 
live streaming it. Tammy was a mean mom. When the kids would fight, you know what she did? I mean, I've heard some terrible. She would make them hug. That's cruel. And guess what? They knew how cruel it was, right? I will be as nice to my brother or sister as I can because I don't want to ever have to hug them. Okay, sure, right? But the point was she could find that was the thing that worked for them. The point is there must be some punishment and a schedule of punishment and a communication of that. But God goes one step further in this discipline plan, and it may be where most discipline plans fall apart. Listen, he says, visiting the iniquity on the generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. A discipline plan includes instruction, correction and warning, punishment, and it should include reward. Any of you ever get paid for grades in school? Anybody? You did? How much? Do you remember? Ten bucks for what? An A? Do you remember how much a B? Did you get? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, see? I used to think that was the most terrible thing in the world, personally, because F's paid nothing. And that seemed to impact me directly. But, but I thought, you would pay a kid, and here's the thinking, right? Why would you pay them to do what they're supposed to do? Well, because God does. God could make the case to say, you will honor me and follow my commandments, simply put, why? Because I'm God, and I will destroy you if you don't. But he doesn't. He says, I am God, don't you forget it, and I most certainly will punish you if you don't obey me, but let me tell you something else. I'll also reward you. You mean you'll reward us for doing and being what and who we're supposed to be? Sure will. Now, I think 10 bucks for an A would work at my house because... 250 for a C, I wouldn't have been out that much, right? I'm more out for that than the tooth fairy. I got in trouble one time for saying that out loud, and somebody said, do you know what you just said? I said, tooth fairy, Santa Claus told me not to believe in him. So that's all I know on that. But here's the point. It is okay for your plan of discipline. In fact, I believe it brings it full circle for your discipline plan for children to understand that there's a reward for doing what's right. This was kind of uh, uh, underscored for me here just a few months ago. I was meeting with a man who used to be the chief of pol a chief of police in Virginia, and then he worked in the Virginia penal system, and he said, we're discovering something amongst young men interested in inner city crimes, whether it's violence, guns, drugs. They are not responding well to punishment. Going to jail is no big deal to them. They already live in a prison of sorts in the community where they are. And simply to put them in shackles and to haul them off and to put them behind bars and see that they have a roof over their head, three square meals a day, and by the way, access to just about every other vice that they had outside is actually an improvement over their current situation. They're not responding to punishment. In fact, they'll commit a crime and almost walk from the scene with our arms out, ready to take the handcuffs 
and go off to jail until they're released and then go back to their way of life. He says, here's what we're finding. That those young black men are responding positively to reward, to positive reinforcement, because it's the one thing they're lacking in their life. They're finding out that these young men who don't have love, who don't have affection, are never recognized for any accomplishment, they're never given the opportunity. He said, we are finding that they are responding better to reward than they were to punishment. And you're like, no, that can't be. Well, maybe it's because punishment sometimes is seen as a quick fix and reward may take some time. All I know is that's the way that it plays out. Yes, you need to have a punishment. An immediate, specific consequence for a specific action. In other words, punishment isn't a buildup of, I just finally can't take it anymore, so you're going to take some of it. It's deliberate. At the same time, so is reward. To be able to say, here's what I need. I need you to clean up your room. By the way, this is a real-life situation. Dozens of real-life situations. I want you to clean up your room. That's the instruction. I want you to clean up your room by seeing that the bed is made, the clothes are there, the toys are there, the books are there. I may even say I want that done in 30 minutes' time. And if you don't, we are not going to the movie. But if you do, we're going to go to the movie, and afterwards we're going to go to ice cream. Now, that doesn't mean you have to bribe your kids to do the things they're supposed to be, but I'll tell you, that's going to go a whole lot more than running in wielding a belt above your head saying, I told you to clean up this room. Oh, you'll force them to do the thing you want them to do. But you'll never develop in them that self-discipline that does it on their own. Because ultimately, that's the objective of discipline is to go back to our model here, right? I want to give them some principles to hold on to so that when I can't be there they have those guardrails that keep them out of trouble. I don't particularly like the term um, self-discipline because I think that self-discipline is a misnomer. Self is who gets us into our troubles. That's why when you see the cartoon with the little angel and the little devil, they both have your face on them, right? It's you going, I think you should, and you going, I think you shouldn't, and the other side, which is still you going, I think you should, and if you make the wrong choice, you got nobody to blame but who? Well, the devil made me do it. That wasn't the devil, that was you, dressed like the devil. But self-discipline, which has been developed by God's external discipline, then gives them a resource for whatever situation, whatever curve, whatever danger, whatever obstacle, you have developed in them this return to hold on to something there that is valuable and beneficial for them. That's what discipline really is. You need to decide how that looks in your family. I suggest that you write it down. I suggest that as a couple that you discuss it. I think that you, I, I need to add one more thing and then we're going to wrap up. You need to include one more element. And that's an understanding of grace. It's not permissiveness. It's not letting them off the hook. But if there's any one single valuable lesson from God's discipline plan that we learned is that God provided grace even though the law was clear. The law was if you sin, you die. But thanks be to God that grace through Jesus Christ was extended. 
where Jesus took the consequence, the punishment for our sin. And sometimes it's okay to say, you know, you didn't clean the room. And then you clean the room for them. And you bring them back. And you set them down. And you say, uh, Daddy's not going to go to the movies. You're going to go with Mom. And then she's going to take you for ice cream. And when they say, well, why? You're the one that cleaned up the room. Let me tell you a little bit about grace. Now, don't do that every time. You'll be tired because they'll let you clean up the room every time. But the opportunity to teach the great lessons of God is all that you're interested in, right? It's not just to keep the room clean. It's not just to get them to fall into line or obey your rules, or for that matter, even obey God's rules, but to have that relationship with him and to recognize what a good God it is that we serve. Thank you for your attention. We're going to take about, oh, seven minutes, five minutes, yeah, by about, no later than five minutes till, because we're going to get them out of here right here at 3.30, but at five minutes till, guys, we're going to have you in here, ladies back in the fellowship room, and at 3.30, we're going to end. We will not come back in here. So I don't know if Cliff has anything, but I want to say this just because I have all you ladies in here with us, that we really appreciate you stick, sticking around this afternoon. And if you're not a parent right now, or at least your kids are up and grown, Take some of these principles and share them because where we're finding wherever we're going is that more and more kids are saying, I don't know what to do. And it's not simply because they haven't been taught, but it's because they haven't been taught. They didn't have a good parent model and they're looking for some answers. And you may very well be the parent that can share with someone who's not your child some things that will make them better parents. So we appreciate you doing that as always. We appreciate the invitation here of the West Visalia congregation, you truly are in our prayers and loved by us, and we pray for nothing but your continued uh, success as you work to serve our King um, and to advance the message of Jesus in this community. So, a couple of minutes to get a drink, make a pit stop, ladies down there, and I'll see you ladies the next time.